0: okay hi everyone it's nice to see so many of you could make it with last minute notice um yeah good good yeah these 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 gaps have been that have, have not have didn't feel right to me so it's it's i'm glad to be doing this more regularly so um you know i think what i've been doing like last year most regularly was kind of sitting for 25, 30 minutes and then and then talking. And once in a while what I was doing was I would talk a little bit before we sat um, as a way of kind of um, priming, you know, the experience of sitting um, to because to, I think, you know, I, I feel like a lot of what I'm doing on these Tuesday nights is not just talking about meditation. And if anything, actually, I think that's like the least important part of what I'm doing. I think um, a lot of what I'm trying to get across, I'm trying to get across in the way I guide the meditations. Um, But I think that if I can say a few words before we start the meditation, then I think we can get a little bit more out of the guided meditations. And so anyway, I'm, I'm sort of... So I think at least for tonight and like I did last week and maybe the week, like, I'm going to say a little bit before we start, um, um, and then sit, and hopefully have the sitting kind of build on what I say beforehand, and then we'll open up for discussion uh, afterwards and see what people experienced. Um, so, okay, um, I think what I want to talk about is, and I'm just going to like begin to talk about it tonight, because it's a very, very big I mean it's like the, the central topic you know of why people meditate in the Buddhist tradition um i guess for having said that i guess it's kind of like what i've been talking about for the last 5 years but it's like i mean, i feel like there's a certain kind of thing kind of like wrinkle that i want to dig into um tonight and maybe in some in the next few tuesday night sessions um and so i think how do i want it's Maybe I'll begin by pointing to one kind of difference in the way that therapy often thinks about the nature of human or psychological suffering and the way that meditation thinks about, or Buddhism thinks about the nature of human suffering, okay? now um we have some therapists on the call and i'm probably going to say things that are going to be like you know no that's not right that's not accurate so i know that all generalizations have limits and so i apologize if like this is not um accurate for the kind of therapy that you believe in or, or practice but but um i would say that I'll, I'll, most forms of therapy i think um kind of can like at least implicitly point to something that happened in one's life that led to some kind of um issue that produces suffering like you know later in life you know childhood trauma um or just some kind of you know some uh maybe it's an, an, an intense experience of loss or grief or it doesn't maybe it doesn't rise to the level of trauma but anyway some something happened or, could, or or it could be like a a certain you know um, condition existed for a while that leads to suffering. The self exists and then something happens to the self that makes the self suffer, and then you need therapy. You know, um, And I think Buddhism has a slightly different take on why we suffer. I mean, and suffering is at the core of why Buddhism as a sort of outlook and a method of practice arose, it is a form of, it's a way of living, a way of practicing designed specifically to address the reality of human suffering, right? That's really what's about. And there are even lines in the ancient, you know, Buddhist sutras, uh, sacred texts that recount what the Buddha said, and the Buddha is supposed to have said, um, you know, what I talk about is suffering and the alleviation of suffering. That is what my teaching amounts to, you know? Um, but for Buddhism, The issue is not that there is a self that exists and something happens to that self, which causes that self to suffer, and then we need to meditate in order to address that suffering, but rather that the self itself happens, that we we come to have and identify with a sense of self, and that that first and foremost is the source of human suffering. So you could have the most idyllic childhood, you know, have caregivers that are always there for you in the way that you know most of us only ever dream of, either having had or doing for our own children, right? Um, never make a mistake. Never not available to comfort, right? All that stuff, right? Nevertheless, human beings will suffer, um, and of course, for most of us, we also have traumas and other things happen to us too, you know. So we, we double whammy, right? But I wanna focus on like, so what, what could it mean for Buddhism to say that just the very fact that we have a sense of self is the reason that we suffer, right? Um, because, you know, you think like, that sounds kind of pessimistic or that sounds really dark, you know? like What, what, what could that kind of outlook actually like amount to? So I'm gonna to try to put this really like simply as i can and quickly as i can tonight because it's something that we can unfold you know and again it's something I've, i think i've really been talking about for a few years already here um um but like let me just put it this way like when we like look carefully at the nature of consciousness mental experience right what we see is that the mind, consciousness, perception, all that thing that uh, what 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 make like all all of what our moment to moment experience amounts to is fundamentally a kind of process. It's fundamentally a kind of uh, flow of experience, right? Um, it is um, you know, there's there are thoughts that arise, they go away, there are emotions that arise, they go away, right. They're perceptions, they're also cognitions, right? They're conceptualizations. There's also moments of sort of like uh, awareness, you know, that arise, they pass away. Everything is just arising and passing away. And, you know, it kind of makes sense, right? That that would be the nature of the mind, because as we know, that's the nature of reality. Like, why would the mind somehow be different than everything else in the universe, which is also just energy and flux, you know? Um, what seems so solid to us, like uh, the computer screen that you're looking at, right, or um, the the pillow that you're sitting on, right? It seems solid to us, seems really stable to us, but we know because of our scientific knowledge, right? There's actually just a bunch of like particles, the subatomic particles, right? energy forces that are moving, interacting that give the appearance of solidity. But actually, everything in front of us that is solid, this for all intents and purposes seems so durable and permanent, we know is actually predominantly just empty space, right? Through which energy particles of different kinds is moving that gives a relative sense of stability and solidity, but it's only relative, you know? Um, And so just as all the physical objects in our world are of this nature, makes sense that like why would the mind be somehow different well there are a lot of like religious and philosophical outlooks that claim for the mind a very special kind of status like maybe everything else is just moving like the laws of science you know describe but the mind is actually something like a a, you know durable ongoing permanent kind of essence and the, the, the classic christian word for this is this is a soul right um it's it's um you know the body may pass away but the soul is of a, of a special kind of nature and so it's gonna uh, exist forever right um it's not subject to the same kind of uh fluctuations and impermanence that the rest of the universe is it's really different but for Buddhism it's all the same you know the nature of physical reality and nature of the mind all characterized by impermanence, by flow, by change. Everything is a process undergoing change constantly, right? Um, but one of the things that happens as human beings grow up and develop a sense of individuality, a sense of self, is that we begin to um, internalize certain kinds of ideas or images of who we are, right? That, um, That, in a way, produce a certain kind of stability, right? Or solidity in what is essentially an ongoing flow-like nature of experience. Um, what's really the truth about experience is that it's just it's always moving; that there are no firm boundaries anywhere. But when we start to think of ourselves as, "Oh, I'm Bernie," or "You're Jenna," or "You're Miranda," right? Um, and you start to think of ourselves as okay, having a certain kind of name that we have certain kinds of qualities that we begin to identify certain kinds of experiences that seem especially important to our sense of self you know um that i'm 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 a kind person or um i'm i'm a needy person or i'm generous or i'm loving or um you know i'm i'm the person that has a special relationship with that other person who's looking at me in that loving way right um so actually there's a um there's a a kind of wonderful um, uh, story told by two psychoanalysts that i think capture this process really well Um, the names are dw winnicott and jacques lacan right and they call this kind of experience i'm talking about with this sort of solidification of the sense of self the mirror stage something that happens when a child is really young you know just starting to get sort of motor control, just starting to acquire language, just starting to get a sense of self. And they're saying like, imagine this child who really doesn't have like full control over their bodies, doesn't really have any kind of stable sense of self yet. right? And this child gets a glimpse of him or herself in a mirror. Now, from the subjective point of view, the internal experience of this child is actually quite chaotic, right? Like don't have motor control, don't have like a stable sense of self mentally or anything like that, right? But they can see reflected in the mirror, reflected back towards themselves, a kind of coherent picture of who they are that does not actually match their internal subjective first person experience of that, which is so that internally it's just kind of chaotic, like unformed, you know, it's like, you know, just like swirling, right? But the image seems so stable together, right? And for both Winnicott and Lacan, and by the way, it's a, like the image is like the mirror, right? They talk about like, imagine a child looking in a mirror, but really I think for most of us, that first mirror was the gaze of our primary caregiver. You know, so imagine like looking into your mother, your father's eye, right? I say especially the mother looking into the mother's eye and seeing that person looking back at you and 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 saying like yes, like you are a person, right? You have a certain kind of solidity. So until so you get reflected back the kind of stability they're talking about. And so internally you don't feel that but you see reflected back, whether it's in a real mirror or in the mirror of your caregiver's eyes, this kind of sense of solidity. And you begin to internalize that. say, oh, yes, okay. Like that gives you a way to picture yourself, right? To understand your experience that is so much more solid and stable than what actually felt like. And so there's a certain kind of like comfort in that. Um, And I think it's crucial. Like none of this is meant to be pathological. Like all of this is really important. We could not be functioning adults in the world if this did not happen. So there's nothing wrong with this. Like okay? there's nothing I'm saying that's meant to say that this is like a problem, right? It's essential. We can, none of us would be here leading functional adult lives if this did not happen, right? Um, but one of the kind of, I think maybe inevitable, side effects of this way of starting to begin to absorb a sense of self is that this sense of self that we begin to identify is always going to be more fixed, more stable, more rigid than the reality of human mental experience that is supposed to be a reflection of, you know, um we are just this ongoing flow of experience but we begin to latch onto ideas or pictures images of who we are who we take ourselves to be which is partly fed by how other people actually see us you know so our our caregivers want to see us a certain way they reinforce certain images and we like to internalize because of course we want to please the people who are our caregivers right that's essential for survival so it's definitely not like this it's like it's a, it's, it's it's there are many different directions we are both sort of seeing ourselves reflect in the world but also we are absorbing the image that other people are sending our way as well and When you get older and you start also interacting with things like media, social media, then the number of images that are like bombarding you that you can choose or like unconsciously identify with, it becomes like, you know, really complicated. So, um, but the real key thing is that as necessary as it is for us to have a sense of self, as inevitable as it is, Right, as even productive as it is to have a sense of self that comes out of this process of sort of identifying with images that are reflected back toward to us from the world around us. Those self-images are always going to have an awkward fit, a mismatch with the reality of our mental experience, which is fluid flowing right um a process but we cling sometimes very tightly sometimes with desperation not always but often pretty with a lot of with a lot of like a tight grip to these pictures that we have internalized from the earliest years of our life about who we take ourselves to be and who we think we need to be, right? To be worthy of care, attention, love, to have what is our place in the world. So that mismatch between the kind of flux-like nature of subjective experience and the fixity or even rigidity of the images that we use to navigate the world, right? Think that, that we use when we think about ourselves, right? That is one of the core reasons why humans suffer. Because as we do what is necessary in order to make our way in the world, we adopt all sorts of identities, self-images, roles, right? All of that, it's important. But we begin, I think, I would say almost all the time, this is almost inevitable, to mistake ourselves for those images you know like that, yes that's really me i am really that nice person i'm really that person who you know is so generous right who who is so kind right i'm really that person who is like you know um whatever it may be okay i mean we all have our our particular images particular stories that we identify with and that mismatch because that, that image doesn't actually refer it's not, it's not actually reflecting anything real, but who we are. It's something that we've latched onto in order to sort of um, acquire a stable sense of identity in the world, which again is necessary. So, if we can understand and realize in a very deep way that all of these identities, all of these images That we can latch on to are just fictions necessary fictions though they may be right then we can navigate the world with a lot of sort of flexibility we don't get hung up when life or our experience doesn't match our sense of who we are right when reality and the pictures of what we think life should be like and they don't match, it's not gonna be so much of a problem because we can realize that oh, the, the pictures are just pictures, the images are just images, those ideas I have of myself are just ideas, they're not the truth. But more often than not, we mistake those images that we've internalized as the truth about who we are, and so have begun to identify with these much more rigid and constricted versions of who we are than is the truth of who we are, which is not ever going to be um, contained adequately by any image, by any idea, by any one story. So we can see this process at work when we sit, when we observe the mind, we can see the traces of the process I'm talking about when we hear those thoughts, like, I need this to happen. No, that's not okay because I, I, this is the kind of person I am, right? Or when we can see you know, certain kinds of scripts start to repeat over and over again, that's when we start to pick up, oh, That's the story that I've latched on to. That's who I take myself to be. And when you sit longer and longer, you start to get very familiar with the particular kinds of storylines, scripts, identities that you have absorbed through the process that I've just sort of sketched out very briefly, And you can see the ways in which It creates a lot of tension and suffering because if things don't go the way that you want them to go, those storylines are going to activate it, right? And you're going to say like, no, no, it needs to be that. No, I can't, that can't, that's not okay. I need it to be this way. Like I need to be sure or no, that's, that's scary. Or you, you start to see the ways in which, you know, the kind of narratives, stories that you've, Identify with, um, need like try to maintain a certain kind of control over yourself and over life. But I think as our meditation practice deepens, one of the places where we see the effects of having identified with these self images most powerfully is in our body we can feel the grip of these stories in the ways that we carry tension in the body. It's not just a mental thing, right? Thoughts, stories, mental stories are an important part of this, but where it really takes root in our life is in the way in which it manifests as patterns of bodily tension. Now, A lot of us all of us I would would wager are familiar with bodily tension when we're sitting but I think a lot of us think that oh the tension is just maybe because I'm distracted or I'm stressed you know Um, if I just like focus if I calm the mind right if I can follow the breath enough I'll be able to like let go of that tension right you know maybe all the tension will relax And, and we often judge whether or not, or evaluate whether or not a sitting was good or bad by how much tension we felt, you know, during the sitting. Oh, wow, that was a really great sitting. I felt so relaxed, I felt so calm, so open, right? But, you know, I've said this over and over again, but it's something that actually has very hard to sink in. It was like, sitting is not about relaxation, right? It's not about calming down. And when we experience tension, it is not at all a problem it's unpleasant for sure but it's not a problem and so one of the things that is going on when we experience tension when we're sitting is that we're seeing the ways that the body is carrying or holding on to particular images that we have ourselves like you know particular um that it's 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 The way that we are gripped by particular identities or a sense, a particular sense of self. If the sense of self was just thoughts, you know, I don't know. I think it wouldn't be that hard to work with. We'd just start to see, like, oh yeah, okay, it's just these thoughts, and they're fictions, right? What makes working on the self really challenging, especially meditation practice, is that it's taken root in the body. So when you experience tension, when you are meditating, think of it not as like a problem, something to relax and to get over, get rid of, but think of it as the manifestation of the particular sense of self or senses of self, because I don't think we just have that one picture that you have come to identify with. And instead of trying to get rid of that tension, push it away, experience it. Be with it. In fact, be one with it. Don't fight it. If you fight tension, you just increase its power. Um, and so just experience it. Let it be there. When we can just let that tension be there, over time, and this can be a while, over time its grip will soften because we're not fighting it anymore, we're just letting it be there and it will show itself to not be the ultimate truth about our experience, about ourself. There will be moments where even the tension might just evaporate but the only way to experience the kind of insubstantiality of tension, of that sense of self, and I think they're the same thing, is to open yourself to the experience of let it be. Just like when you try to push away thoughts. Does that work? No, right? Well, you know that. Most of you have sat long enough to know that. You, you You don't quiet the mind by saying, okay, thought go away. No thought go away, right? It's when you can notice that you're thinking, be aware of it, but just not fight it. You know, let the thoughts be there. Let the emotions be there. Same thing, let the tension be there. And then, over time, you'll see that the tension is in the deepest layer, right? That it will soften gradually over time. When we become less identified with that, those images I'm ta- I was talking about, those stories that we internalized, life is so much easier, freer, right? The kind of relaxation, calm, that we came to meditation practice looking for, it'll just be there a matter of course, but not if we make it the goal. The real part of meditation practice is working with the illusion of self that each one of us has come to identify with from the earliest years of our life and which is the root of all of the suffering that brings us to the practice in the first place. Okay, Okay. so um, we're gonna sit for a bit. Um, and I think in particular, if you experience any bodily tension during this meditation, try to just let it be there. Don't fight it. Don't see it as a problem. Of course, notice if the mind says, man, it's a problem. I don't want this to be here. But just notice that. Notice how the mind reacts to tension. You'll see the way that it kind of makes a squirm, but can you just let that all be there? Just let it be there. Okay. All right. So please get into a comfortable position. And we take a couple of deep breaths. Feel the upper body fill up with air Exhale slowly your slightly open mouth. And just take a couple more breaths in this way, just breathing in deeply, fully, exhaling slowly. Now let your mouth come to a close and just breathe naturally through your nose, no longer intentionally lengthening the breath, no longer managing the breath in any way, just letting the breath come and go, however it wants to on its own. Really just let the breath, I mean, just let the breath come and go at whatever way that it wants to. The breath may be short or deep. It may be erratic. You may notice that there's some tension your experience of the breath just let that be there there's no right way to breathe just let your awareness rest on the breath. You can follow the breath in the chest, noticing the rise and fall of the chest or the movement of the belly. Or some of you may prefer feeling the sensations of the breath in the nose, whatever feels easiest, most natural for you. We're not gripping the breath with our awareness. We're not holding tight to it. We're just, just let the awareness rest on the breath, gently. Feeling the sensations as you breathe in and out. sometimes people think that when we follow the breath we're not supposed to be aware of anything else but we're not focusing on the breath in a laser-like way it's not one-pointed we're just using the breath as a way to anchor ourselves in the present moment in the physical reality of the present moment so it's okay if you notice that there are thoughts flitting about or you notice emotions or feelings arising. It's also okay if you notice sensations like bodily tension in the body. Let that all be there. It's all okay, just as long as you're also maintaining awareness of the breath. Now while you continue following the breath in this way, please include in your awareness all the sounds in the space around you. If you can't listen to all the sounds around you and be aware of the breath simultaneously, that's fine just let your awareness sort of move back and forth between breath and sounds in a relaxed way maybe follow the breath for a couple inhalations and exhalations and then listen to sounds for a couple in-breaths and out-breaths and then once in a while see if you can hold the breath and sounds in awareness simultaneously So this is the practice for the rest of this meditation just following the breath feeling the sensations of the breath and listening to all the sounds around us you might think of keeping like a third of your awareness on the breath a third of your awareness on sounds and then just the final third of your awareness just notice whatever else is part of your present moment experience not trying to achieve any special state we're just trying to stay awake to the reality of our physical experience Thoughts may arise, feelings may arise, tension may arise, it's all okay. Let it be part of your experience. As long as you are feeling the breath, hearing the sounds around you, let whatever else is part of your experience be there. No problem. If you're feeling boredom or impatience or frustration or any kind of unpleasant physical or mental state, and you just observe that with curiosity, just notice how it feels, notice what kind of thoughts are associated with that feeling. You hear all the sounds around you. Is there a part of you that's judging how this experience is going? Perhaps wishing it was otherwise or feeling like you're not doing it the right way or not doing it well enough. Just notice that. Notice the voice of judgment. What does it sound like and how does it feel in the body? Is there any tension associated with that judgment? Where in the body do you feel that? What does it feel like? you feel the breath right now. If you happen to be feeling any tension in the body it feels uncomfortable doesn't it but isn't it interesting how much we want to get away from that discomfort, how much we don't want to feel it, it's just tension, it's just discomfort but sometimes it can feel so unbearable Notice how the mind and the body react to tension and discomfort. Just be really curious. What happens when tension arises? What does the tension feel like? What does the resistance to the tension feel like? Please feel free to get comfortable, get a drink of water, stretch. The bell was nifty, huh? I figured out how to do it after all these years. <laughs> um. So, I um, said a lot. There's not that much time left, but I do want to leave a little bit of time for questions, comments. Something, as I said, we're going to revisit in different ways over and over again. And, and I guess actually, we've been talking about this over and over different ways. But yes, Vivian. Um, when I was able to um, realize and t- tune into the tension that i was feeling um it 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 went away mm-hmm. ma- m- the majority of it however <laughs> it felt like beneath that was pain what do you say about pain <laughs> um so yes I'm very very familiar with that um um, off, like for me, one of the places where I carry it is I, since that we don't have that much time to get into the nature of the pain. But for me, one of the places I carry a lot of tension is the center of my chest, right? And when I have the experience of like really just like letting it be there, and and I'll experience moments of softening, I'll experience profound grief that's underneath it, um, kind of like you know heart wrenching. That's almost, pain, I would almost use the word painful, but it's, um, and um, that's not always what's underneath it, but a lot of times it's what's underneath it. So I think the thing is not for me to offer an explanation for you, but just to say like, it's something to investigate, you know, um, and to notice. It. And already I think you you can imagine one of the reasons why as uncomfortable as attention is, we might be in some way attached to it because it, it's like an armor against what might be underneath it right so um i think it's wonderful the experience of Vivian, as difficult as it might have been in the moment but it's just the beginning of this exploratory process see and what you might notice too is like sometimes after i experience a softening and experience what's underneath then almost like you'll the tension will reassert itself it'll become like you know it'll, like maybe the next day you know it'll harden up even harder because it's like that's what it's been protecting me from but of course when we're cut off from any part of ourselves we're you know we're not living a, a whole life so there's a price it's it, it serves a function the protection but it also has a cost and that's i think the thing to, to explore right so thank you for sharing that's really wonderful yeah um anyone else I have a thought question comment this is the ultra unsexy version of zen you know where you know i'm not offering like you know like kensho experience of enlightenment you know like but really it's like saying can we just like be with our experience right really just be with it and then as Vivian discovered to see what then also might lie underneath it or what what the different level, levels the experience may be um, and all the other the fireworks they can come they can be part of the experience but this is about not turning away from our like ordinary lives but really seeing that there's deep wisdom to be got, and actually like attending care. Like, Intention to what's right here, rather than always searching somewhere else, you know, um, for an escape. Anything, anything. Okay. Well, if there's one thing to take away for the next two weeks, sis. Be with the breath, be with sounds, but we follow the breath, we listen to sounds as a way of being with the physical reality of our experience moment by moment. That's the key thing. It's not like following the breath, you'll get in some deep absorption state and that'll take you somewhere else. No, it's actually following the breath because it's part of our physical reality, moment by moment. So use it as an anchor to keep you in the moment. And that's where the transformation happens. It's Gradual, slow, but it's also profound. All right. Okay. We can talk about this more next time we see each other. I'm off next week. Um, I'll be experiencing lots of bodily tension, discomfort (laughs) this week. Um, And then I will see you guys the week after. Okay. All right. Thank you for being here. Wonderful to see you.